Amen. How many of you uh, were able to go ahead and view the eclipse at 100%? Uh, boy, quite a few. Quite a few. 20? Oh, on TV, okay. Yeah, drive across traffic, backed up. Yeah, I understand that. Inter interesting thing, I, I did get to go view it at 100%. One of the places, they said probably one of the best places in the whole country to see it. And it was an interesting uh, thing for me. I, I did not go expecting uh, much. And uh, I know that's probably ignorant on my part, but I went over there. People were going to be there. We're going to have a fundraiser thing for another group, and it was kind of fun. But... When it, when it got down to uh, the, the, the whole thing happening, it, I was overtaken. And I was overtaken even by some of the things that are in the word of our God and how majestic it is. And, and those of you that did not get to, to see it at full place, it was, uh, there was a light that came a little before, a little after, that I have never seen ever before. The, the whole area around you is lit up. My, my daughter-in-law said it reminded me of the Sturgis football lights when they were younger. <laughs> and uh, just really kind of white stuff. But uh, then when it happened, you took your glasses off. By the way, Nick and I did cheat. We did take our glasses off numerous times just to see uh, what it looked like. And, uh, and I, I looked at it, and even when there was just a pinhole left of the sun, if you took your glasses off, the whole glory of the sun was like it was a full sun. You could not see it, just a pinhole. And it was fascinating. So then when it did hit that and the eclipse came, uh, I was just wowed. I, I really was. I, I, we were just sit, we stood there, and, but it hit me at that time. And, uh, and I wondered why it was so prevalent when things get hard, when things get uh, uh, painful and stuff like that. I looked at it, and I, I somehow just so wanted this to be the end. I wanted him coming back, vanquish this enemy, and just let us live in glory with him. And, and the fact that at that time it didn't happen, uh, I'm still eager, so every day I'm anticipating uh, that end. And I, I think as we look here and look at Scripture, it does tell us that everybody in every age, uh, in male, female, whatever, should be anticipating the end. And I promise you it will do good for you to anticipate the end. Today we're going to talk about something that I, I hope will be a real help for you. Uh, we're going to continue in the book of Proverbs, but we're going to talk about a theme that runs through the entire uh, scripture. All the way, if you read Genesis and you come to little spots all the way through of the minor prophets and all the way in through the Proverbs and the Psalms and into the, the other major prophets, you go all the way through, you're going to come to a, a constant theme. There are going to be a couple things that are present all the time. And we cannot miss it as his children, as our God and our, and our guide, as the scriptures were left for us to reflect who he is. I, I, I feel we can get lost in all of the details of Scripture and all of the doxologies that we look at and all of the doctrines that we can pay attention. And doxology and doctrines are good. They're, they keep us straight on our path. They help us not wander one side or the other. So they're healthy. They're very good. But they are not the priority. And you're going to see that what the priority is. First and foremost, from the beginning, you're going to see that this is a book and a story and a world about Jesus Christ from beginning to end. This is 
his world, his sky, his stars. It is about him. You and I get to play a part in the story, but it isn't about us. And when we make it about him, it is amazing what you can begin to experience. But you're going to see a common theme that he's, he kind of spreads throughout the whole scriptures. And so often in, in a world where there's lots of conflict, a lot of decisions to be made, uh, a lot of scriptures you read that make you just throw up your hand and say, what in the world could that be implying? What could it be meaning? And then you hear these neat people, and you look at them, they're, they're really godly people, and this person says it says this, and this person says it says this, and what does it say? Uh, do you ever get to that where you're thinking, I'm not sure, what's, what, what is it saying about this? What is it saying about all these different truths? And as the heavens are higher than the earth, and so is God's ways, and God's thoughts are higher than ours, that man cannot comprehend nor understand the things of God, where are we safe? Where can we land safe? And I would ask that you to consider this, that as we talk about today, I'm going to give you a very simple thing that if you go ahead and you seed on this principle today, you will be pretty safe. And God will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. In Proverbs 3, we're going to look at Proverbs 3, verse 3. That's where we're going to spend at least the kickoff. But I want to start with verse 1 of Proverbs 3, and then we'll go through 3. And it says, My son, do not forget my teachings. Let your heart keep my words and my commandments for length of days and years of life, and peace they will add to you. Here we go. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor. That word is grace, love, and kindness in good repute. That is making good, common sense decisions. So we're going to look at this whole theme of kindness and truth. The word kindness is an attitude of love that overflows and, and overflows with mercy. Remember, mercy, mercy, the word mercy is way different than the word grace. Although we found out they're all tied together, they have, the scripture says they've kissed each other. The word there means they have come mouth to mouth, kissed each other, and become one. You can't remove the attributes of God. He can't be cut up and divided into little sections and little parts like we like to do. And we only do it so we can try to get our little puny minds around something. And he says, you cannot comprehend me. The things that are clear to you, tell your children and tell your children's children. The things that are hidden and confusing, he says, leave alone. And it's so funny, the people I meet are always messing with the things he says to leave alone and arguing about them. And we stand our case and we will even break relationships to stand and argue against these things. And he is saying, leave them alone. There is something that I am going to give you and I'm going to pour out onto you and you're going to have the potential to understand and to walk in this. And I'm going to tell you, kindness, loving kindness and truth, don't ever let them leave you. God even goes on in, in Micah, and, and this is what the name of the session was here, is uh, what has God told us and require of us? And Micah 6.8, he says, He has told you, men and women, 
what is good, and what does he require of you? Boy, your ears ought to be listening if this is all he's saying. To be just, to love and practice kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's it. That's it. Why do we complicate it so much? Psalm 61.7 says, Appoint loving kindness and truth, for they will preserve you. They will guard you and protect you. Proverbs 16.6, By loving kindness and truth, iniquity, iniquity is atoned for. It means it's canceled, it's covered, never to have an effect on you. Not only on you and yours, but if you'll let kindness and truth cover you, it will also cover those around you and how you view them. 2121, he who pursues righteousness and loyalty, that word is loving kindness, finds life. That word is kabod. It means you have honor, you have esteem, your reputation. Psalm 8510, loving kindness and truth have met together. And that word met together is an interesting word. I, I got a picture of it. Some of you, if you've ever watched the movie Braveheart, Back in the days when William Wallace was fighting for the liberation of his country, there was a horrible, horrible decree that the kings would have. And the kings would have a decree that if a man was going to marry a woman, he could come and take that bride-to-be and take her to bed and better before he would. That was what the kings would do to everybody's uh, fiancé. And William Wallace did not want to go along with it. So William Wallace and his fiancé, they would secretly at night go someplace and they would meet at night and come together at night. The word is the same thing, to meet for the purpose of coming together and unioning together. And this is what this word says. It says that loving kindness and truth, they meet together. And righteousness and peace have kissed each other. I love that. But you, O Lord, Psalm 86, but you, O Lord, are God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loving kindness and truth. And on and on and on. In every book, this seems to be a theme. This seems to be a theme. Now, I want you to hear me, what I'm going to say. I want you to make sure you hear what I'm not saying. I believe that loving kindness can be expressed in every human being on the planet. Now, I am not saying that loving kindness can produce and bear fruit that remains from anybody except for a person that has yielded their life to Christ and has received that life into your life so that that life becomes fruitful and bears fruit. But a non-believer and a believer walking in the flesh can still demonstrate acts of kindness. It will not bear fruit, but it can demonstrate acts of kindness. As seen in our life, one time uh, in the year 9-11 came, I was downstairs in my basement working out, and I was happened to have the TV on. And I'm working out, and I had no idea what to expect, and I look over, and I see this airplane hit the towers. First, I thought it's a movie, uh, because I, I did, that would never happen in our country. And then I realized this is a true event. And so I get Nancy went upstairs to get her, and sure enough, another one hits, and I realize we are in the po possible process of war. Day later, 
we get a phone call from the Billy Graham Association ask if we would put together a team of people that would fly out to New York to help assist with the, the, the uh, policemen, the firemen, and all the emergency people. We were to go out and assist them. And so we put together uh, by the help of the community, and we flew out there, and we went to try to help. And I can tell you something that I was amazed with. Right there. I was, there was devastation. There was still smoke going on. There were still just tears and people still looking for bodies. It was a horrible scene. But I saw something that was fascinating to me. I saw literally almost every tribe, every nationality, every religion, every anti-religion being kind to one another. It was please excuse me, move over. It was something that I had not seen before. The New York Yankees were playing, and if you'll remember the scene of the New York Yankees at that time, they started letting out a bald eagle in the middle of the game would fly. TV, national television, the world would sing God Bless America. People that had no idea. And I saw kindness being displayed. And it dawned on me that I said, you know what? In, in mankind, God has poured even his self within mankind that we can be kind. I have people come and visit with me in my office, in a counseling office, that are just terrible, terrible people to their spouse or their children or their parents. And I see them week after week, month after month, and they're kind to me. It lies within a person to be kind. I have a dear friend that uh, at one time in their marriage, as we all do, they were kind of having some tough times, and uh, they made a comment to one another. They passed it on, and I have loved that comment, and I use it often in my own life, and it says, why don't we just be kind to one another? And you know what? It wasn't just a saying, flippant saying. They chose that day to drive a stake in their life and say, we will be kind starting right here in our home. It doesn't mean they agree with each other. It doesn't mean they don't have disputes. But they made a point to draw within them that which was there that usually comes out in a crisis. And they said, at this point, on my watch, we'll be kind to one another. And this is what God is saying. Don't let kindness and truth depart from you. Don't let it leave you. If you're going to go ahead, and, and I'm not against people with strong causes, and you'll see sometimes, I, I love Swindoll, Charles Swindoll. You young guy, that was a guy that we grew up with. He was an old man that taught a lot of us. And, uh, you know, I have to always preface this anymore. When I used to use the name Mickey Mantle, people looked at me like, who is this? And I thought, who doesn't know Mickey Mantle? And I, and I had to keep going down and down until I had to even get out of the sport and stuff into people. But uh, Charles Swindoll said that normally when people are very strong about something, that's just like a pendulum. They're just at this end of the thing, and then they cycle over, and they get over here, and the only time they're balanced is when the pendulum's flowing through the middle. And so we, we get causes we fight for, we stand for. Sometimes our political cause, or maybe a doctrinal cause, or maybe it's something that says, okay, this is what my heartbeat's going to be. And there's nothing wrong with them as long as they are subservient to this cause is to let kindness and truth be above it. Jesus goes on, and, and, and through the life of Paul, he refer, 
basically reveals this in 1 Corinthians 13, the common chapter of love. And he goes on and he says, you know, if you know all things, even more than angels know, if you have all wisdom and you don't have this loving kindness, you're a noisy gong, you're a clanging cymbal. It profits you nothing without loving kindness. Try it sometime. It's within us. And those of you that possess the very life of Christ, you not only have the ability to be kind to one another, you have the ability to bear fruit through your kindness because then the life of Christ will come through you and they will begin to see that which they were designed to see, and that is loving kindness. I've told you, men and women, what is good and what does God require? Practice loving kindness and walk humbly with the Lord. You know, I was looking in uh, Philippians 2 where it's a, a, a portion of Scripture that I think is a really neat Scripture, and it talks about that, you know, count others as better than yourself. Look not only to your own interest, but also the interest of others. Uh, and then they give us example that Christ, although he existed in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took on man. And for years, I thought, you know, I, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to empty myself. I'm going to follow Christ, and I'm going to empty myself. And God let me know something very clearly of how distorted I was in my view. God said, Bill, I emptied myself because I had something to empty. I am God. You have nothing to empty. There's nothing in you that needs emptied. You're but a grasshopper, a drop in the bucket when it comes to you separated from me. Solomon said it wise. He said, we're but a vapor that just disappears. You don't empty yourself. You just get honest with who you are, that you are nothing without Christ. And you count yourself as nothing in order that the life of Christ may come in you and then we get to experience that which we all talk about, but I'm not sure we grasp and understand. We talk about this thing called the great exchange. And where in the scriptures it says that he took and poured out of you your unholiness, your ungodliness, and poured it out. He poured it out of you. You didn't do it. And then he poured into you his righteousness and holiness and made you reflect the image of God. He did every bit of the work. If you will acknowledge that, you will not walk around with any arrogance or pride. You will walk around humbly on this planet. And I think some of the times that we, we realize that, it's a shame, I think we realize that, when we basically just mess up. Some of you that have not got there, get ready. You will mess up. There is none. God says, I looked down, there wasn't one that did right. You've heard me say this numerous times from here. God seems to take a lot of delight, and it's usually in the broken, messed up people that are honest with themselves because they're just not so consumed with themselves. You cannot show loving kindness and truth when you're consumed with yourself. It cannot happen. And there are a lot of ways you can be consumed with yourself. 
Sometimes you can be so consumed with your health, you're, you're on the line looking everywhere you can to see what it is that you can do to feel better about yourself, and you, you're, you're so tuned into yourself, you can feel water go through every vein. And I know people, and I know the doctors in here that have had people come in and, oh, I'll give you this, well, this side effect does this to me, it does this to me, because they're so looking into themselves, and they're usually miserable people. And it doesn't end with just their physical, their physical body. They, 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 see, they see everything around themselves. Have you ever noticed how some of the nicest, calmest people can get into a car and turn into a wild animal? I have somebody, I will not name who it is, but it, uh, just the nicest person, the most patient person I've ever seen around kids. And he get, I got in a car with, with him, and, and I mean, I thought I was in the car with, with Frankenstein. And I looked over at his wife, because he kids all the time. He's always sarcastic. And she goes, he's not kidding. <laughs> and I realized, why do we get so upset in cars unless we're consumed with ourselves and where we're going and what we're doing? Which reminds me, I'll never forget, <clears throat> those of you that know me, I can be in a hurry. Ah, okay. I can get compulsive. Oh, <laughs> they just know me too well. And so I get in a car, and I work, I work on it. I work and say, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, be in a hurry this time. And then last two weeks ago, I think I told you this, I was in a car, and I came driving by and committed a terrible crime. I drove by two cute little faces selling lemonade and just drove on by because I was in a hurry. And I, I, I drove by, and again, I started getting, okay, okay, okay. So I dialed a friend of mine that I knew would appreciate the story, and I said, you know what I just did, being in a hurry? Because he's always in a hurry. And he said, oh, no, you didn't. You committed one of the greatest crimes that I think there is. And he says, let me tell you something and give you some correction advice. I roll up a dollar bill, I drive by, and I throw it out while I go by. <laughs> but it isn't going to stop me from myself and my stuff. So a couple years ago, I have a partner, and uh, he's just a neat guy. I, I love the man. He's good for me to be around because of how he lives life. Good morning, Bill. <laughs> I'm trying to pull it out of him. So we go to lunch, and I'm in the car with him. And, and by the way, he does this because he really is not hardly ever consumed with himself. He's always looking out for people around him. And kindness drips from him and makes you feel you want to be around him. So we're driving in the car, and we're going along uh, the, the road here. We're coming up to Omaha, where Pioneer Bank is, which is a busy, busy street, but it only has two lanes. And we're coming up, and there are 12 cars in the right lane and one in the left. It didn't dawn on me what he was about to do. So I'm up there. I'm leaning, thinking he will turn and go to the one car. And I lean, and he goes right to this one. I said, what did you do? Did you see over here there was only one car? I kid you not. He says, huh, that has never crossed my mind. 
I wanted to grab and just text his pulse. And I realized we are all so self-absorbed in anything. It can be at the traffic. It can be in jumping in lines. Uh, you know, you're going to beat somebody. And believe me, it's the confession we said is good for the soul. It is terrible for your reputation. But if you ever got to where you know you're going to be going somewhere and you want to hold the door open, but if you do, they'll get in line before you. <laughs> Ask God to say, God, just this week, show me. Where am I so self-absorbed? Where am I so self-absorbed? And I want to challenge you guys. This is easy sometimes to do with people you don't know. And it can be very difficult in a home you live in. But I want to challenge you that you will go ahead and say, as of this day, on my watch, this house does not burn down. I am going to let loving kindness and truth live in my home before I leave my home to anywhere else I go. And loving kindness isn't just the way you speak. It's how it lands on the people you're with. Is that I am going to go ahead and say, today, loving kindness is going to reside in this home from my life. And this is what God requires of a man and of a woman. I promise you, if you don't know how, what a husband's supposed to do, if you don't know what a wife is supposed to do, you don't know what a father's supposed to be like, if you don't know what kind of doctrine there is, or is the rapture's coming today, or is he, are we going to go before the rapture, or after the rapture, is there a rapture? You can go on all the different things. You're safe if you'll go ahead and let loving kindness and truth never depart from you. And you can do it. God says the righteous man, he gets hurt. He has emotions. He has feelings. He gets offenses made to him, but he has learned how to restrain it. And that's a godly man. In my 47 years of walking, attempting to walk in the Christian life, I am ashamed of so many periods of my life that I... I made great arguments doctrinally to win an argument with somebody about some doctrinal issue, and I left with a lot of pride that I had won the argument and most likely lost the relationship. And by now, I can tell you this, and I've quoted you my two favorite verses at this point in my life. It's Proverbs 30 says, I am more stupid than any man. I don't have the common sense of even a man. And the other one is, Oh, Lord God, thou knowest, and that is good enough for me. I don't know that I would argue those points anymore. I might think on them. They're fun to dream on and think the possibility. But I said, you know, really, when it comes down to it, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, made a comment to him. They were confused. They were his disciples. And they basically... How do we know who are the real t disciples? Remember what he said? A new commandment I've given unto you that you love one another so that they may know who are my disciples. First John, when he got to the island of Patmos, he makes a comment and he says, if you say you love God and you hate, you hate mankind, you're a liar because you can't love God and not love mankind. My true disciples are seen in the way that they are with other people, not in any other thing. And never did he answer any of those with a doctrinal answer. 
And I want you to know, those of you that know me, you know I'm a stickler for doctrine. I love studying scripture. I love putting together and love trying to guard myself. But it should never, never come before this command. Loving kindness and truth, you will be safe. And if you can't argue with or explain this or explain any of the different things of, of faith or of truths or whatever, but you're loving and kind, you will have heard in the heavens when God says, well done, good and faithful servant, you have done it well. I want you to listen to this verse. I, I think it's a verse, if you'll look at First Peter, Peter's life was an interesting life. Peter had a tendency to be proud, to be arrogant. Uh, never by, in his own heart, a bad motive. It's just some of the flesh bends that he had. And he says over and over again in both books, it's nothing for me to be reminded of these truths. I need reminded of these truths. Surround yourself with people that will help remind you. But he says this in First Peter, the start. He says, since by your obedience to this truth, you have been purified and yourself has been purified for a sincere love of the believers. See that you love one another from your heart, always unselfishly seeking the best for one another. You can't do that with unforgiveness. It's impossible. If you harbor bitterness or anger at somebody, you cannot demonstrate kindness. It cannot happen because you can't even see it. So in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 15, it says this, And so, as those that who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, loving kindness and humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other for whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you that you also should forgive. And beyond all of these things, beyond them all, first and foremost, put on love, for this is the perfect bond of unity. And as it starts in your home, and as you begin to see it and experience it, it says that you will receive back that which you basically pour out. That is a biblical truth through everything in Scripture. He says, if you become critical and judgmental, the same amount of criticalness and judgmentalness will come upon you. You wonder why people are judging you? Stop and listen to your tongue and listen through your ears. Here's a good thing to ask yourself. If I visit with Terry over here and I'm talking about Lornell, I want to know when I leave, does she have a better impression of Lornell or a worse impression of Lornell? When you leave a conversation and you've talked about somebody, are they left with a better impression of that person or a worse impression? We all mess up. We all will do it. But here's the deal we have. This is the key thing. We have a cross that took care of all this. We have somebody that hung there that night, saw everything, every word, every act of unkindness you would do in your home or anywhere you're going to do, and he said, just tell us, it is finished. It is washed clean. Finished. Now, therefore, it says, purify yourself because this has happened to you. Walk in it. So would you pray with me?
Father, I can't think of a more powerful display of your life, your loving kindness, your truth, that's your loyalty, your firmness, your never changing, your overwhelming, abundant love filled with mercy towards whoever comes in contact with you. I pray we would be a people that would reflect it. A people that, that would draw people to you because of our loving kindness and our truth. Lord, we cannot produce this holy kindness without you doing it through us. But I would pray today, somehow, you would drive a stake in our heart and we would, with boldness and confidence, play the man, play the woman, and say, not on my watch will this home go down. For I hold in my hand the instrument of loving kindness and truth, and I am going to use it as a banner. And I am going to believe and trust that you will accomplish it. In your holy name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.